over an hour of. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thanks, Rose. Happy February, Dave. Yes, I hear you. I hear you. What's what's new with you? Uh, I just finished a book, which was great. Uh, so the book is called A Failsafe. You ever read it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard of it. Uh, think I saw the movie. Yeah, there were a couple. And in fact, there was a movie in 1964 that Sidney Lumet did, and then there was another movie, apparently on CBS, that was like a live action movie starring George Clooney. Um, which I have, I, the, the, my copy of the book is touting the CBS kind of made for TV live movie event. And I haven't found a recording of it yet, but um, maybe, maybe someone out there can, can find that for us anyway. Uh, yeah, this, the story is about, um, uh, what happens if our, uh, nuclear launch capability, which is largely automated and driven by computers, again, written in 1958, I think, so that just for context, um, mm-hmm. you've got a, uh, this heavily computerized launch process, uh, and even with all the fail-safes, fail-safe, get it, um, mm-hmm. somehow we still managed to uh, launch, a, uh, launch an attack on Moscow, um, and, uh, and then it, the, the story is about what happens to both countries in reaction to this kind of rogue nuclear launch event. Mm. Uh, so it seemed timely, uh, mm-hmm. as I see us uh, running up to a war with North Korea, I figured I'd brush up on my apocalypse stories. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so get ready. Yeah. yeah. And what, what struck me most about the, about the book was, um, how the concerns never really go away. Right. Um, the language we use is a little bit different and the, maybe the scale of the concern is a little bit different, but fundamentally it was a mistrust of, um, heavily automated systems and how much they compress the decision-making cycle. And basically that being that making everyone sweat, right? So mm-hmm. something that would have otherwise taken a week and provided plenty of opportunity and fresh air for reconsideration on the rest of it. Um, all these automated systems compress all of that down to, you know, a matter of a couple minutes. Um, so anyway, it got me thinking about um, how wildly you and I have misjudged our career choices and maybe computers are actually making the world a worse place. I don't know. Yeah, I was, especially I, with automation. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah. 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 No, that's right. Um, so, uh, anyway, reconsidering my life choices over here, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, no, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. The Super Bowl is over. Uh, so even though the Steelers didn't make it, um, I'm, I'm still kind of happy that, uh, uh, they still have more Super Bowl rings than anybody else. So I'm, I'm happy about that. Yes. I guess we, you can always rest on that, I guess. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, we should mention too. We had some big news at the company, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. It's Core OS, right? They're welcome them to the family, which is not a post-apocalyptic story, right? So, <laughs> That's right. No. No. Yeah. Pre. Pre. Strictly pre-apocalyptic. Pre-apocalyptic. Story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's right. So our good friends at uh, Core OS. Uh, so these folks um, basically they had three products. Um, you can kind of think about their offerings in three ways. Number one is, uh, Tectonic, which is their, uh, Kubernetes offering, um, which is, uh, now kind of joined up with OpenShift, obviously, you know, two Kubernetes mm-hmm. offerings. And then, um, you've got, uh, Quay, I learned it was pronounced Quay, uh, which is their container registry, um, which is some great technology in there. And then they had a container host technology called, uh, or Linux distribution, I should say, called, uh, appropriately container Linux, 
Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, no, no big news about what's going to happen next over the next few weeks. Our teams are going to meet with their teams, and we're all going to figure out what the right what the right next steps are. But um, mostly, just super excited uh, to have more influence in the Kubernetes community, um, and also super excited to continue to make investments um, making uh, Linux and specifically Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, the best possible container host. So, pretty great news. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. Me too. Me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do we got in the show this week? Yeah. So uh, let's see. We got uh, from Tinder with Love. We have from China with Hairbands and from Law Enforcement with Malware. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's an extremely Dave and Gunner set of, set of pairings there. Uh, that's yeah. great. <laughs> so if folks want to link to, uh, uh, to this uh, failsafe book uh, on Goodreads, uh, what, what website should, uh, should they go visit? Yep, they want to go to dgshow.org, so D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show.org. Nice. And uh, what's been good? I haven't had a lot of spare time, so, you know, uh, as usual, you've been contributing to the cutting room floor this week. So what have, what have we got? Yeah, so let's see. We got uh, uh, 3M meets uh, iPlugs, a uh, new product line. Yeah. Yuck. Yuck. Yep. Um, we have a robot bartender meets a grandfather clock, uh, and uh, HP Lovecraft meets Billy Joel. Okay. All right. All right. Well, any Lovecraft reference is going to make me click. So that works yeah, out. That works especially out. if it's to the tune of uh, Piano Man. <laughs> oh, I know. I know what you've linked to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, all right. Should we start uh, last thing first? So law enforcement with malware. What have we got? Yes. Yeah. So um, we've got a joke kit. Um, so people could break into discussion groups after they hear the segment and, and uh, parse it out if they'd like. So um, let's say the, the police were, were going to have a uh, cybersecurity quiz and hand out uh, USB drives as a prize for the people that win. Um, would you want to make sure that the thumb drives don't have malware on it? Uh, well, sure. Yeah. Although kind of more fun if you don't check, right? Yeah, or is it still part of the quiz? (laughs) (laughs) So what what happened? Yeah, so, well, basically the Taiwanese police, they handed out malware-infected USB thumb drives to the winners of a cybersecurity quiz at a a data security expo. Um, (laughs) 54 of the 258-gigabyte thumb drives had uh, uh, malware, and then... um, the, the police bureau apologized to the presidential office, members of government, quiz participants, uh, according to the Taipei Times. So, um, and I wonder if it was like, a, like, how did you let the people that win know that they got malware? It's like you send them a phishing email or I don't know what. <laughs> no, you just speak to them through their microphone, of course. <laughs> That's <Right. laughs> yeah. Attention, citizen. <laughs> <laughs> Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, boy, that's embarrassing and totally predictable. Uh, and not so. I mean, you can't. Like, are the police gonna like look at all the thumb drives? How many thumb drives have we handed out at trade shows, right? And we're not gonna sit there and and hope you know check them for malware. Um, no, no, no. Because I mean, we presume that only our malware is on there, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um. So, listen, have you been listening to the Ezra Klein show, that podcast? No. No, okay. I know. He's he's like a, a, a um, 
what you call it, public radio guy, right? Well, he's a he's a uh, so he's a he's a he's a wonk who kind of made his bones. He's young. I mean, he's like he's probably about my age, younger than me even. Um, but he made his bones uh, covering healthcare during the uh, during the Obamacare debates, and uh, extremely smart guy, um, and uh, was one of the founders of Vox. Uh, media. Mm, okay. um, and so he runs an interview podcast, which is a little bit wonky, as you might expect, but is also, um, he kind of blends in a little bit more of his kind of personal interests in there. And uh, most recently he had on uh, Jaron Lanier. You remember him? Oh yeah. From virtual reality fame, uh, dreadlocks, yep. all that. Yeah. Rasputin eyes. Yeah. That guy. Um, yeah. Rasputin with dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, you know, Jaron Lanier always been, you know, an iconoclast. Um, and, uh, I'll admit I went into this interview mostly for old time's sake. Cause I remember, you know, his, I remember him from virtual reality days and I just wanted, wanted to kind of check in and see, okay, how's Jaron Lanier doing is, did he get more or less crazy than, than when I last visited with him? Um, but you know what? I was genuinely surprised, uh, by the quality of this interview. It was so thoughtful and, you know, you and I have both read a, a thousand think pieces on social media and the dangers of social media and, um, uh, the moral hazards of uh, so, you know, social media companies. And Jaron Lanier had probably one of the most thoughtful approaches to the question that I've ever heard. And he was talking mostly, you know, the root of the root of the social media problem is ultimately the, not the profit motive so much as the advertising revenue and that being the primary motivator. Um, and so that encourages all kinds of bad behavior. Um, it doesn't reward good quality engagement. It just rewards engagement of any kind. And so um, it turns out that because humans are fundamentally broken inside, uh, we always prefer uh, to hate things. And that forces more clicks uh, than actually liking stuff. Um, right. And so uh, with Animus as the big motivator, of course, uh, tools like Facebook and Twitter naturally begin to um, draw sides and it becomes this kind of like self-fulfilling polarization. Right. Right. Um, right. And he said, any, any interesting thought experiment, he says, well, now compare and contrast with LinkedIn where this doesn't exist at all. I thought, huh? I was like, think about that. Well, and then that's because LinkedIn, yes, I suppose they have a little bit of ad revenue, but, um, there are other cultural constraints around the LinkedIn business model that encourage better behavior than you would see on, on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and I think, I mean, probably part of that is that like your personal reputation on that network is kind of more consequential. Right. Um, yes. So anyway, I don't want to give away the, I don't want to give away the whole interview. It's definitely worth listening to. It's over an hour worth of some really two quality minds approaching the problem. So that it was a great discussion. It was really interesting. Um, but it got me thinking, Dave, you know, I, I am certainly a different person on Twitter than I am on LinkedIn. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and you're mm -hmm. even more active than I am, I think, on LinkedIn. So like, what's your what's your own experience? Yeah. And that's where it's like you you have these different venues and it's, you know, it's like you got LinkedIn, you have Twitter, you have Facebook and all that. And then some of it is like uh, like LinkedIn is almost like going to a conference where Twitter is, I don't know, going to a bar where it's <laughs> right. like anybody could hear what you say or whatever. And and Facebook, if you can control it with your groups of in your circles of who you're in, it's almost like going to somebody's house or a relative's house. So you know, you're going to be, be you're going to behave differently. Mm -hmm. um, and and also I think the subscribers of each would be different as well. Like like would you know I could imagine like LinkedIn is very uh, like 
white collar, um, maybe IT industry related, uh, more so than say like Twitter that or Facebook, which could be like retired people or people from all walks of life around the world and everything. Um, so you're going to attract a different crowd as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Well, and also there's a Twitter. I'm going to follow people just because they're interesting. Whereas in yes. LinkedIn, I'm more likely to follow somebody aspirationally, if you know what I mean. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, anyway, I encourage everyone to go listen to this interview. Um, if what I, if the way I described it sounded like a rehash of every social media cultural consequence conversation you've heard before, then I have misrepresented it. It was, uh, it was, uh, some of the smartest thinking I've heard about it. So I definitely encourage everyone to go listen. Mm. Yeah. That sounds like fun. And, and also like with Jaron Lanier, you know, being a big thinker with the whole virtual reality, you know, it was more of, of, uh, like his thinking back in the day was more than just about pushing pixels and polygons and all that. But it's like, how can you transform society with virtual reality? And I'm sure he extrapolated that to social media in this interview. Just so. And as a bonus, you get to hear uh, how Jaron Lanier uh, supervised uh, Richard Feynman's uh, uh, deathbed acid trip. Mm. So that's cool. Yeah. Anyway. So any other, uh, what what else he got in the uh, social media news? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there, you know how it is where, you know, you get the big incumbents and then, you know, we get some small scrappy startup to try to disrupt them. Uh, and, and so there is a, uh, a new app out called ripple Hmm. and which is, I don't know who thought of that because it's sort of like, there's already a cryptocurrency called ripple. So it's like, that's just going to create all kind of confusion. But (laughs) anyhow, um, there were a bunch of people at Tinder, you know, the matchmaking website, um, they, the dating app or whatever, they did a hackathon and uh, an output of the hackathon where, you know, they try crazy ideas and let's see what works and all that um, came this uh, mobile first alternative to LinkedIn um, that the same way that you swipe left, swipe right for people on Tinder, you do the exact same thing, but in a business sort of context of, of, uh, you know, I guess you swipe right if you want to, uh, connect with somebody uh, to network them or swipe left if you're not interested and all that. Um, what problem is this solving exactly? Yes. And well, (laughs) yes. And and that's, that's the thing that I was thinking about. And then I was starting to get like creeped out. Right. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, how much, and I'm, I've, I'm, you know, I, I was married well before um, all of these newfangled uh, uh, dating things came out, so I never experienced them firsthand. But, uh, you know, I, I think one of the problems that people see is that LinkedIn was, uh, it came out during the desktop era, where mm-hmm. it, it wasn't really mobile first to begin with. And it was also for like a heavy focus on like job searching and headhunting and all that which they see that as only a a small subset of professional networking. And then they also see the problems with things like inbox spam and all kind of other crap, which, which I get. And, um, and also just random people wanting to connect with me, which I don't know why. Um, and so what they, they see this, they, they don't see this as a Tinder for business networking. And, and, you know, they thought that the swiping part was a cool thing about it, but they were also thinking about the, um, the psychology of, of like networking with people. And, and so, um, and this would be interesting to hear, it'd be interesting to get your take on this, but you know, the thought was 
like if for like a dating app, if you're swiping left, swiping right, it's you're just plowing through like all these pictures of people and profiles and all that. And you're not really thinking about the history of who you swiped on and who you didn't swipe on and all that. And then people ultimately connect with you eventually. And so they were thinking about doing the exact same thing from a networking standpoint of of how that would um, that would happen. And also making it mobile first would be the way to go. I'm still not hearing a problem that I need solving. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, uh, like I understand that might be solving a LinkedIn problem. Um, yes. but like the end user, like dis, uh, maybe I'm in the wrong business, but like, I never thought about discovery as part of my business networking set of problems. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's, that's the thing too, that, you know, that I was wondering as well as what is networking? How, how do you define networking? And and that would be different from a say like a business development person like and you you know this where it's like you go to like some FCA event in DC where you get some government CIO up there talking and you know they get escorted out of the room pretty quickly because like every business development person is going to be like throwing <laughs> a business card at them you know it's just like Shark Tank that they're in right yeah yeah, yeah. and so um, you know you ask the CIO. You know, is it, it to me? It's very asymmetric mm -hmm. um, and different. Where like the 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 CIO wants to network with a different person than the business development person that wants to network with them, and right. that's my guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and so you know, and then it's like customers and salespeople and headhunters and and all that. And you know, to me, I, I'm just like uh, uh, like I, I'm still wondering about this whole thing myself. Yeah. I get well. Actually, you, you've, you've, uh, I think you struck on something important there, which is um, if you think about people who need to be networking are largely in sales of one kind or yes. another, whether it's explicitly sales and business development or if it's like I'm in a startup and I'm trying to meet VCs or whatever. And fundamentally, there is an asymmetry problem there, and it's that the person you want to talk to never has the time or inclination to talk to you, and that's why they call them salespeople, right? Um, yes. If, <laughs> if you were truly looking for a peer-to-peer -peer, um, relationship among equals, then you wouldn't call it sales. Um, the whole point yes. of sales is that you have to exert some unnatural pressure on the relationship in order to make things work. And nothing wrong with that, but that's just how the world works. And that's why we pay people to have that job. Otherwise, everyone would just sit by the fax machine and wait for the PO, right? Um, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, the, the other thing with the asymmetry, too, is like the number of people that want to, you know, like meet with other people are, it's like, that's also asymmetric. Like mm -hmm. the number of people that are going to swipe right on Bill Gates yeah. is way bigger than the number of people that Bill Gates swipes right on. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and time and, you know, taking a Merlin Mann kind of filter on this, like time and attention is finite for everybody. And yes. the problem is not finding someone with whom your interests are aligned. Um, the, Oh, well, actually, no, there, there's another access altogether is, okay, you both have to be interested in doing the work together, but then you also have to be interested at exactly the same time. Yes. Um, which is never going to occur naturally. And again, going back to like the role of sales and business development folks is um, part of their job is to uh, compress or expand time scales so that people are interested in things at the same time. Um, yes, within the quarter. Yeah, within, exactly. Yeah, within a <laughs> quarter, right. Um, yeah. 
And so, and, and space time, time that's time, and then space is sitting outside the customer's parking lot waiting for them to come out. <laughs> that's right, sitting in their lobby waiting for them to leave. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and so, I mean, I have to wonder again, like what what this seems like solving a problem that someone would imagine exists if they had never actually done the work. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Well, yeah. And then the other uh, here are some other interesting features okay. about this: is it by making it mobile first um imagine this being like the same way that you are single and at a bar and you bring up your whatever dating app Mm -hmm. and it'll it'll be like oh there are so many people that are in you know certain radius of you that are they swipe right on you or whatever right um and so they're going to figure out that geolocation stuff and here's something that's even more fun and creepy is that they're they're working on a feature that um if you don't know the person all you have to do is take a picture of them and it will find them in their database and tell you who they are so you can swipe right on them. <laughs> That's not awkward at all. Right. Well, it also seems like uh, that's where it begins to overlap with the Tinder mission, right? Um, yes. It's like, because uh, like in a business context, I guess, yeah, creepy, but like maybe, you know, whatever, you're at a conference and you can figure out like maybe that could be useful at a conference in a creepy way. Um, but then preventing someone from using that for, uh, let's say interpersonal relationship purposes, um, that moves it well into the creepy, uh, and, and like borderline stalker category. Right. Yeah. 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 And I can imagine that, you know, here we go in the dark mirror territory Mm -hmm. where this will be like a Google glass app. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. It's just, it's fitted into a set of contact lenses and, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And and I, have you you know of, of the ladies that you work with mm-hmm. and in in the industry have you like I've heard a continuous pattern of you know them getting um, just like inappropriate uh, messages from people uh, from guys on LinkedIn like trying to hit on them or pick them up and look at their profile and, it's, and they're like all creeped out about it. Yeah, I uh, you and I talked about this briefly before the before the show started. Um, I had not. I, so first of all, I had not heard of that explicitly. I am not at all surprised. And seriously, stop doing that. Like, what's the matter with you? Like, there's yeah. nothing. LinkedIn is not a pickup scene. Um, right. Like it's it like that's just that's just gross. Um, yeah. And there should be. I mean, there should be a place for women who are in a professional setting should just be able to do their um, ostensibly useful networking uh, on a business networking website and not get harassed for a date or whatever. Like, that's just gross. That's just gross. It's not appropriate. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, I think you're cute. And it's like, really? You know, and then that just really is like not cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's not cool at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. And speaking of, of creepy, um, there I, I put a link in the show notes to this, is that um, a related article, speaking of Tinder, who mm-hmm. makes this particular application, um, somebody sent uh, a request to Tinder for uh, her data. And um, she got back 800 pages of like her deepest, darkest secrets. Yikes. Well, hopefully stuff she's disclosed to Tinder. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Yes. But it was like, you know, like you, you know how it is where it's like people are on there swiping left, swiping right. And, you know, you're just like blowing through like millions, you know, just mm-hmm. a bazillion people and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, they were able to figure out like all kinds of like, you know, all your messages, like all the, you know, uh, for her, it was like uh, 1700 Tinder messages since 2013. Um, like, like all kinds of like crazy stuff. And it's like, I think that it's harmless. Right. Because it's not a private conversation. It's a conversation between you and your suitor and Tinder. Yes. 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 And that all gets recorded and it's not ephemeral. Right. Or encrypted. Sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Well, it could be encrypted, um, you know, like TLS to the server, but the, the company knows it and they're using that to give you a better ad experience or relationship match experience, maybe. Right. And let, yeah. And let, and I, uh, I think we can also assume that the intern can read all those messages, right? Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the failsafe book. Um, let's not trust computers with anything we actually care about. Um, yes. Yeah. Gross. All right. Yep. What else have we got? Yeah. So, um, ter- David Gunner term of the week, mm-hmm. brushing. Have you ever heard okay. of brushing? Let's, let's, uh, I'm interested, but let's keep it clean. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we will. This is, a, this is a, a family show here. Um, <laughs> So brushing, uh, it's it's a term I never heard of, but it, do you know about um, AliExpress? Uh, this is the uh, kind of Alibaba equivalent to FedEx? No. It's oh. uh, AliExpress, you could think of it as um, the eBay of Alibaba. Oh, for... okay, okay, okay. Not the shipping arm, but the eBay part of it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Right, yeah. So it's less, uh, like Ali, uh, AliExpress is less about... Um, uh, like me reselling an old tablet that I don't use anymore as an individual. It's more about like, I'm like a Chinese manufacturer and I want to be able to sell my stuff all over the world. Right. Like a, to it's like to... a B2B scene more than a. Well, B, B2C. B2C. So okay, okay. like, you remember, like, like for me, it's like, I've, I've gone to China years ago and you go, or, or you'll see like the, uh, you know, like the stores in China, like on TV and stuff where it's just like crazy with, you know, these guys that just, they have a stand inside of a, it looks like a, a flea market sort of environment and they're just selling like resistors or mm-hmm. capacitors mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, and you just buy stuff in bulk and all that. And that's, and so they have all kinds of stuff ranging. That's where I bought a lot of my Arduino stuff, like stupid cheap. Um, and, but what happens though, is that you can't be in a hurry to get your stuff mm-hmm. because, uh, it takes a while for the stuff to ship from China, mainland China, get through customs and make it to your house, mm-hmm. like we're in Ohio here. Mm-hmm. And so it would take like maybe six to eight weeks. So for, for me that it's like, I'm just fooling around. I don't have a big project. And it's, and for me, it's like you, I ordered it and I forget about it. And it's like Christmas when some package with all this Chinese writing shows up and it's like, I'm all excited, you know, what could it be? But, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and so it's, it's fun, you know, you get all this stuff, but the, but they're one of the problems that they are having with, with, uh, Alibaba or with, with AliExpress is the, the rating system of people, um, you know, wanting to like all, you know, how you have like fake followers and, and all that, they get fake ratings using a thing called brushing. Hmm. And so there is a uh, fun fact. Um, the United States Postal Service has a um, an agreement with a lot of these emerging countries uh, to do uh, these e-packets, which, uh, which are like they you could do shipping from, say, like China 
to the United States for below cost than what what it would cost to send it from like United States to China. So the whole hmm. premise was like it was it was set by some sort of treaty that said that you know these certain countries the basically the US Postal Service will subsidize the postage costs. So it's it's stupid cheap to be able to send stuff uh, to mail stuff to the United States because it's it's subsidized. And so what was happening, and this gets back to the brushing part, is that um, there were people in the United States, they would go to their mailbox, they open their mailbox up, they pull out this little, you know, uh, bubble pack uh, envelope, and it it's, you know, has all this Chinese writing on it. They open it up, and it's like a whole bunch of, like, hair bands or something. And, you know, the lady's all freaked out. She's like, what, what is this? I don't know what this is. And she kept getting them over and over again to her address. And... So I guess I don't know if people got a hold of her address or, or what it was from like a, a, a hack, but um, the whole point was people were using it to um, uh, increase the number of orders for a particular storefront on AliExpress. So the storefront uh. <laughs> would send all of these hair bands, and it may not even they may not even be selling hair bands, mm-hmm. but it's you know just like random stuff that they put in an envelope. Once it is delivered in the United States to somebody, it gets marked as received. And, you know, when they do the tracking and mm-hmm. that person, that seller's ratings will go up because they sold more things. Right. Right. So, and see. that's, that's one of the big things that, um, um, uh, you know, that they're fighting in, uh, it with, uh, AliExpress is all these fake orders. Well, you know, what's funny about that is because in America we would just, uh, create a fake identity and then, uh, goof the ratings that way. But this, this hack uh, or this scam seems to indicate uh, a much more substantive fear of the authorities verifying the information, right? Um, like if uh, you're not just worried about the, I guess what I'm saying is you're not just worried about something like the Federal Trade Commission um, bugging you about your fake ratings, right? Like if you're actually falsifying shipments, then that suggests that you actually think that somebody is going to do some serious homework on whether your ratings are credible or not. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's, which is kind of amazing. Like that, that indicates a, people are expecting a depth of, people are expecting a depth of investigation that I don't think anybody would expect the United States to be doing. Yeah. Well, and they're also like gaming, uh, AliExpress too. Right. Yeah. Just so. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Brushing. Brushing. That sounds like that sounds like a term that already existed and is now being applied to this. Yeah, I think it. I think it did exist for a while, mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, yeah, interesting, it's crazy. That is crazy, huh? All right, so I'll be on the lookout for uh, strange Chinese packages coming in e packets. Yes, and add add brushing to your LinkedIn profile as a competency, <laughs> and I'll, I'll endorse you for it. <laughs> What would it, what would you be a brusher? Yeah, a, or, or brushed, a brushy, getting uh, getting brushed, Br- yeah. brushy, brushy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, what do you say, Dave? Yeah, it's well, so. If if people need to get uh, the order uh, a set of uh, eye plugs from uh, uh, Alibaba, uh, where we need to send them, <laughs> we can send them. To, uh, don't go brushing on on AliExpress. You need to instead go to uh, DG Show. Dot org. That's a D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Nice. All right, Gunner. Well, thanks, everybody, and we'll catch you all next time. All right. Thanks, everyone.